Scott! This presentation of the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network is brought to you by Wintrust Bank and Mazda of Orland Park. Now here's your host, Connor McKnight. Rock Casino, White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. This is White Sox Weekly. We've got our final two-hour show of the 2021 season starting right now. Don't worry, we'll be around for you all off-season long. We'll cover free agency, everything that's going on with the CBA. That'll be a lot less fun. Uh, The additions, the subtractions, the moves... The machinations the White Sox make in the next couple of months. We're going to be here for you. It's not like we're leaving or anything. We'll be on from 9 until 10. Every Saturday from here until the beginning of spring training 2022. But today, we get a special two-hour show to kind of wrap up the season. Put a bow on it, if you will. And we'd love your help. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. I got a question for White Sox fans to start the show. I'll tell you what we're doing here uh, this afternoon as well. But my my question is one that I think is hopefully pretty simple because I didn't want to overcomplicate everything. I know where everybody's at right now regarding the White Sox-Astros series. I understand that it's still kind of a tough pill to swallow and still a difficult thing to kind of look back on. I want to try and remember some of the great stuff from the 2021 season. We're going to dig in on what had the White Sox fall short of the Astros, fall fall short of that ALDS series uh, in the show this afternoon as well. But I I think the question here, and I've heard a lot of people talking about it, whether it's other radio shows, television shows, podcasts, and whatnot, and it's a fair question, but the one they get asked all the time about seasons like this, where you've got a good club, maybe it wins a division, maybe it falls just short, wins a wild card game, but gets bounced out in the actual first round of the playoffs. I hear this question asked all the time. Was the season a success? That's not the one I want to ask today. That's not the question that interests me most about the 2021 White Sox. Not anymore. We talked about that last week. We talked about it with players and coaches, um, beat writers, and national reporters, right? The season came short of being a success in the sense that only one team gets to end the year and say, hey, World Series trophy. We won the final game of the season. This is an unqualified success. So that's not the question I'm asking this afternoon here on White Sox Weekly. I'm asking a different one. I want to know what this season reminded you of. I want to know what this season was to you. Because each individual White Sox fan, I think, has had a different relationship with this team. Just a little bit. You know, whether it be some of the successes of the season, whether it be the last month or so of 2021, if you're still just able to focus on the series against the Astros, I don't blame you for any of it. I understand it. Baseball season can be a roller coaster. And where you are on the up and down of this thing, I I understand that people are in different spots. So I'm looking for the individual responses here. And I'll tell you mine in just a second. But I want to know what this season was to you. The White Sox fan. Not what other people are telling you it was. Not what other reporters or analysts or whatever are telling you 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 need to feel about this team. But I want to know what this season individually this year was for you. To me, it's a little bit like this. It's like we all decided to have a great party. 
We're all sitting there. Maybe you watch The Office. We're all sitting there in the planning party committee. We actually had a good meeting this time. We got the plan together. The streamers, the cake, the balloons, the whole thing. Planned it out, put it down on paper and thought to ourselves, hey, this is going to be a rager. This is going to be a thing. We've got a great party set up. So then we made the preparations, all of us sitting together, the team, the front office, the fans, the talking heads, the folks with microphones, all that stuff. We sat down. We said, "Okay, here it is. But the streamers over there, the balloons here, the cake goes here, all that stuff. We ordered subs and pizza and the whole thing, had it all laid out, started the party. Things were going great. And then as the night went on and things were really just getting wrapped up, we find out that somebody didn't reserve the place for the entire night, that we had to be out by 10. We made all the preparations. We set it all down in front of us, had a real shot for an all-timer, but found out that we only had the place booked until 10. And no good party ends at 10 o'clock. No good things happen after 2 a.m. either. But there's a lot of time between 10p and 2a. And unfortunately, the White Sox just weren't able to keep the party going into the small hours of the night when all kinds of weird, crazy, awesome stuff can happen. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. I want to know what this season was like for you. I want to go through a couple of ballplayers on the White Sox, a couple of White Sox players that really stood out to me this season. I'd like to know some of yours as well. You know, I've got a list of names here and a couple of accomplishments and seasons and developments that I thought were really impressive in 2021. I know you do as well. We're going to talk with Scott Merkin at 2 o'clock. He's the MLB.com beat reporter for the White Sox. Does a darn good job. Uh, We'll talk with him at 2 and get his thoughts on the wrap-up of the season and kind of look back at the ALDS a little bit with him. Look forward some. The White Sox have a couple of headlines circling around the team right now that are somewhat interesting, uh, maybe in in different degrees, but we'll get to that in the next segment. I just kind of want to look back at the start. Now that I've given you what this White Sox season was to me. I I wanted to give you my, you know, kind of wrap up on the ALDS here a little bit. And feel free to chime in. Uh, You want to talk a little ALDS. You want to revisit this Astros series. I get it. Let's talk about it. I think a couple of things here. One, and we talked some about this. You know, the last White Sox Weekly was just after the Sox were down 0-2. They were coming back to face the, the Astros at guaranteed rate field in game three. That was a wild environment. So here we were on on Saturday night, last Saturday night, talking about what the White Sox were facing down 0-2 against the Astros, who looked like a really unstoppable baseball team at that point. Hoping that the White Sox would come back in Game 3, that the home environment would help throw a jolt of life into things. That it would kind of change the fortunes a little bit. They, They have a statement game, something that turned around the feel of what it was like to be facing the Astros in that series. And sure enough, we, we got it, right? I mean, a 12-6 win. There was all kinds of wildness at Guaranteed Rate Field. The atmosphere and the emotions were were there. Everybody was fired up. I've been, I've had the good fortune of covering a couple of baseball games in my career, and a few of them have taken me into the playoffs. Not many in this town, but a few of them have. And th- that atmosphere was right up there with the absolute best absolute best I've been in. I covered college football in another life about 10 years ago, and it it reminded me of that kind of game day atmosphere. You know, the one where you've got the nat, maybe you went to a big school, maybe you didn't, but 
you know, when you had game day on campus, when you had just the entire college football world descend on a small little campus town, you really were kind of the center of the universe. And, you know, when when I'd go from campus to campus kind of covering these things, that atmosphere, that explosion set to happen was, I mean, it was right there. And it felt like that driving up to guaranteed rate field for game three and kind of walking around, seeing everybody get set and ready to roll. Uh, as I was doing the pregame show and coming into things, everybody's, you know, people are out on the concourse and they're getting their food and a couple of drinks and getting into the seats and setting down. So I, I, I did that pregame show with Len and DJ in the booth. Uh, that's not our usual setup because in the playoffs, so many different people, national outlets, you know, ESPN and, and TBS and Fox and whatever, they all come in and take up our, our usual spaces, which is fine. It's the playoffs. That's what happens. But just being there together, all of us as a broadcast team in the booth for game three was, I mean, we could feel it. We were looking around and thinking, oh, my goodness, this is this is exactly how we planned it. This is exactly what the White Sox wanted to have. This is exactly what the team was looking for coming back home. Didn't want to have to do it down 0-2, but got the atmosphere, the energy, and the uh, the buzz that everybody had been hoping for Game 3. You know what happened next. White Sox jumped out to a one nothing lead, gave up 5 to the Astros, stormed all the way back to win it 12-6. to They had a great outing from the bullpen in that Game 3. And then in Game 4, the Astros just put it on the White Sox. That offense was too much for the White Sox to handle. And I think that's kind of where I start looking back at the ALDS here in 2021. I think the first thing that stands out to me, more than, more than anything else, as it regards the White Sox, is the starting pitching in that series. Now, that's not to say that the Astros didn't matter and that series could have been against anyone and the White Sox would have blown up the same way that they did or they wouldn't have been able to string together extra base hits until Game 3 or any of those kind of things. No, I don't mean that. The Astros were a factor here. But as this is White Sox Weekly, I'd rather drill down on some of the things that the White Sox came up short in, succeeded in, a few things, places they can get better. And for me, it, it starts with the starting pitching. And it should. You know, we, we started almost every post-game show this year talking about the starter, the guy who just worked, what he was able to accomplish, what he fell short on, who got him when, what kind of counts attacked him, all that kind of stuff. And, and when you've got Lance Lynn, your game one starter, going three and two thirds and giving up five, and then Lucas Giolito going four and a third, giving up four. Dylan Cease, one and two-thirds, gave up three. And Carlos Rodon, given what we all kind of expected at Carlos Rodon or, or couldn't expect from Carlos Rodon in that start, all things considered, two and two-thirds for Carlos and two earned runs might have been the best start of those four. I guess that's debatable. But even still, that's like 12 and a third innings. It's an ERA over 10, and it's just difficult to win three games in five, much less try and take a second in four when your starting rotation just can't get you into the sixth and even you know, kind of keeping it close in a ball game. Now, granted, the White Sox were able to keep it close kind of during most of those starts. Cease gave up three and fell back behind. Lynn, kind of the same thing in that game one, uh, the White Sox were closer than that final score, I think, um, would show you 6-1 to one in the first, I'm saying they were closer in the first four innings or so, five innings or so, and then the Astros tacked on a couple late. That made it the, the kind of lopsided affair that it was. Uh, but in his start, in Lance Lynn's start, uh, the 
White Sox were still around a little bit and had a couple of base runners on, even though Lance McCullers uh, was pretty darn good. Still, that starting rotation that had been among the American League best, a starting rotation that, you know, whether Lucas Giolito in his second half string together, I, I think it was a 2-6-5, ERA in the final 13 starts of his season. Dylan Cease, who had really put things together. Dylan's one of the guys I think we'll talk about a little later on in the show, maybe after we've talked to Scott Merkin at 2 o'clock. You know, this, this rotation, with the exception of Carlos Rodon, who I'm going to get to in a second here, really was the strong point of the White Sox all season long. Yeah, there was about a month where things were a little bit banged up, a little bit wonky. But if you compare the state of the White Sox rotation, really at almost any point during the regular season, against pick another team, you take the White Sox rotation at almost any point with rare exceptions in and out. So for that unit to just not be able to hang in ball games as long as they did put a lot of pressure on the White Sox bullpen. And all of this is through the lens of a Houston Astros offense that just really didn't quit. You know, whether it was ground balls by Michael Brantley finding the hole on the right side, uh, whether it was a couple of big 2-0 or 3-0 counts where the Astros got their pitch and didn't miss. Or whether it was a guy like Kyle Tucker who got kept quiet in the first two games, uh, you know, was able to put together a couple of great at-bats late, batting so deep in that lineup. The Houston Astros offense was able to come up with clutch knocks when they needed it and able to pile on. That's what moves them on to face the Red Sox in the ALCS, at least in my opinion it does. Uh, and that's what's got them up 1-0 after kind of a uh, pretty thrilling game just the other night, last night, in game one. 5-4, I think, was the final there. Still, I think the White Sox, you know, as, as you kind of look back at this ALDS, I, I think the White Sox do get to check a couple of boxes on their way to the ultimate goal here. I think as you look back through the last few seasons, talking 2018, 19, 20, and now the concluded 2021 season. I think you do get to check a couple of boxes. And here's one. We're going to do this all show to a couple of the boxes that did get checked, a couple that remain open. The one that I think is pretty important here is that they were division champions. They won the AL Central. And it wasn't close. I also think, you know, you look at the next couple of seasons... I think the White Sox are set up to be division favorites for the next two, maybe even three years. And that is important. That is crucial. You look at the energy it takes. I mean, to say nothing of the fact, you know, you look at the Giants-Dodgers series, one with 107 wins and one with 106, and the Dodgers as the wildcard winners move on to the ALCS, just edging out the Giants in a game five of the, of, of the division series. You know, look at look at the Red Sox. They win a wild card game. Move on against the Rays and go on. You you don't want to have to spend that energy. Even though you've got two wild card teams, the Dodgers and the Red Sox, in the championship series, I don't want to have to go back through that. I don't want to roll the dice again having to play that one game, one game playoff. Going to wreck the setup of the starting rotation or just pray that you get through it one way or the other. I mean, God forbid you play that 13-inning game 
that the Raisin Astro, uh, the Raisin Red Sox played the other night in the ALDS in a wild card game. My word, you won a division, and that's meaningful to me. That's that's very meaningful. So that's at least one box, and I think there are several, but that's at least one box that the White Sox get to check for themselves here in 2021. You can secure your spot at Guaranteed Rate Field next season with the 2022 ticket package. Catch the biggest matchups and enjoy 2022 postseason opportunities, flexible payment plans, and more. For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit whitesox.com. I'm Connor McKnight. This is White Sox Weekly. Question I've got out there for you is pretty simple. What was this season to you? Not asking whether you thought it was successful or not, though certainly if you if you do have an opinion on that one way or another, happy to hear from you. I just want to know what this felt like to you, what the whole ride felt like. I'll let you know how it felt to me. Uh, we're going to talk with Scott Merkin at 2 o'clock. I want to get into some of the particulars uh, and a couple of news items here in the next segment. Heard some news on Tony La Russa and heard from Tim Anderson about Tony La Russa as well. We'll play that for you when we come back. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. I'm Connor McKnight. This is White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. Hanging out with you until 3 this afternoon. A couple of questions are on the board for you, and we're going to talk with Scott Merkin of MLB.com at 2 o'clock as well. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. The question out there is, uh, what was this season for you? Not asking whether it was a success or how to measure it necessarily, grade it or anything like that. I just want to know what the emotions were like, how you felt during this whole year. Now that we've had a little bit of time to cool off, probably not enough time, I'll give you that, but a little bit of time to cool off uh, from the 3-1 loss to the Astros. Interested in how your brain, your White Sox brain, is kind of wrapping around this season. I, I kind of compared it to start the show a little bit to a great party that was just really rolling, right? Had everything in line, all the makings of a legendary one, but somebody forgot to book the room until after 10 o'clock, and that's just, that's just too early. Just too early to wrap up a, a real good party. You can uh, secure your spot at Guaranteed Rate Field next season with the 2022 ticket package. Catch the biggest matchups and enjoy 2022 postseason opportunities, flexible payment plans, and more. For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit whitesocks.com. A couple of news items I wanted to get to before we got too far into the show and, and started talking some real you know, kind of hardcore baseball stuff. Kind of look back at the ALDS a little bit. And I'll continue to do that some. I want to break down a few individual players this season. Kind of measure some of the growth, some of the steps that were taken there. We'll look at some of the places where the White Sox can get better as well. But I don't want to do necessarily in this show today the look forward to 2022. You know, planning out a roster, free agent targets, uh, trade opportunities, anything like that. We'll do that as the news uh, leads us to. And it's not like we're going to be behind on anything. And I'll, I'll get into the uh, Craig Kimbrell report in just a little bit. But I, I think it's most important, at least in my perspective, to wrap up the season some. 
to kind of look back at what was accomplished and some of the places where internally the White Sox can grow before you start to look necessarily at the specific uh, potential additions, moves, trades that can get made. Because this White Sox team is is put together in, in, a, in a certain kind of way. It's one where the core is controllable for a little while. It's one where the core is, in a lot of circumstances, not just controllable, but signed to kind of the long-term extensions that you don't see other organizations sign their future stars to. You know, you look at teams that are in the playoffs right now, and I could point to a handful. The Astros are one of them, where at least in one case, Carlos Correa they couldn't find themselves a long-term extension between the two parties. And it's more than likely that Carlos Correa is going to hit the market, get a big money deal, you know, one that he deserves, and, and may not stay with the Astros. The White Sox don't have that kind of concern with position players at the very least. Eloy Jimenez, Luis Robert, Tim Anderson, Yoan Mankata, you know, these kind of guys, these homegrown core youthful players are locked up. And that's not the case with a team. I mean, look at the Red Sox, who, yeah, are back in the playoffs, no doubt about it. But the Red Sox this year were supposed to be kind of a light rebuild year, a retooling year, I guess. Not many expected them to compete for a wild card, much less, you know, for a minute there, hang in in the AL East against the Tampa Bay Rays. It was a short minute, but a minute nonetheless. You look at the Red Sox, they're, they're not that far away from having to get rid of Mookie Betts because they were in a spot where they couldn't, I don't know, justify the payroll and or choose to rebuild or retool at the same time. That Mookie Betts trade is one that really irks me as a, as a baseball fan, I guess, more than anything else. But also, you know, they had to do it. They had to make that move. They had to face the the unconscionable decision of moving what could have been a, a lifelong and an upper tier, upper echelon Red Sox player for all of history and move them. You know, the White Sox aren't in a situation where they're being, you know, pushed off their seat in that way, at least not with young, controllable, extended position players. There's a couple of situations where we might have to look at it otherwise, but most of that's pitching in Carlos Rodon in an interesting situation. I, I want to play for you in a little bit here uh, some Tim Anderson sound from earlier in the season. Um, and earlier in the season, pardon, uh, mis- misspoke there, just the other day. And he's talking about Tony La Russa. We saw some news, uh, some su- surprising news in St. Louis, where Mike Schilt, the manager there, you know, the Red Sox won 17 in a row. They stormed back to a wild card spot. The Red Sox, the Cardinals, won 17 in a row. They stormed back to a wild card spot. Ended up winning the darn thing by five, maybe five and a half games over the Phillies and the Reds. Uh, this was a remarkable comeback type year for the St. Louis Cardinals and Mike Schilt is out as manager not many people saw that coming so instantly there was you know of course on Twitter because Twitter's great uh, a lot of reaction about oh maybe Tony La Russa wants to go back to the Cardinals and all this kind of stuff it's not happening Tony's coming back I didn't think that that was really a question one way or another but it does bring up some of the things that Tony said in his final press conference after the White Sox uh, were beaten by the Astros in the ALDS. Tony said that after every season, it's kind of measuring whether he wants to be back or not. And he said he does. So that's box checked number one. But the second thing 
that he said was he, he kind of has a, a sit-down, a get-together, a confab with players and front office people. And if the players want him back, he's willing to come back. Those are the things Tony said. Now, I want to get into some of the sound from Tim Anderson. I'll, I'll let you in. I'll peel you behind the curtain just a little bit. Tyler Aki's our producer on the other side. He's a crack. He's an ace. He's fantastic. But I messed up a couple of things with the technical stuff earlier today. So we were bouncing around with the studio. Do we, should we play some of the TA stuff here before we hit the hour? Let's play some of the TA stuff here. This is t- uh, Tim on Tony La Russa and kind of the way he, uh, I suppose, won over a clubhouse in his first year as White Sox manager. Here's Tim Anderson. You know, huge impact. Um, you know, everybody thought we wasn't going to get along, but, you know, overall we was talking behind the scenes the whole time. And, you know, just for him to, you know, uh, you know, the, the players come first. And, um, you know, he makes that he makes that known. Uh, we're one big family. But I think he did a great job, you know, coming in and, uh, you know, being a part of, part of what we, you know, been trying to do. And, um, you know, I couldn't be more happy than what, you know, what he did. Um, you know, the relationship was, was great. Overall, with, with the players, everybody was just getting along with him. Um, you know, I think he came in and did what he's supposed to do. And, you know, hopefully he could, you know, step right back in and, uh, you know, continue to push us next year and, uh, you know, make these decisions that he did. Uh, I think he did a great job overall. And, you know, I was very pleased with, you know, how he handled it. He won't come back unless ownership wants him back and the players want him back. Yep. I know you can only speak for yourself, but what would that vote be? Yeah, for me, yeah, I, I want him to be back. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, my decision don't really matter. Um, so I guess it all depends on what the front office thinks. Um, but, you know, for on my half, as far as, you know, speaking for player, player standpoint, yeah, for sure. I definitely want him in. Uh, I think he did a great job with, you know, the way he managed and, uh, you know, just being open and uh, you know, let us do what we what we wanted to do, um, you know. But, you know, when we took the field, we was going to go out and play hard for him and, uh, you know, give him everything we got. So um, I was very pleased with him. That's Tim Anderson. Uh, more from Tim in just a little bit. I think we'll uh, we'll hop to a break here in just a second. But I'll, I'll I'll wrap those thoughts with this. It is not a secret, and we talked about it here on White Sox Weekly when I first took over in January or whatever that was. It was no secret that headlines were made, fairly in some cases and unfairly in others, about bringing Tony Larusa in to manage the White Sox and Tim Anderson. Right. And how that particular player, a guy that played with all kinds of emotion out there on the field with all kinds of, uh, you know, agenda in, in wanting to change the game and make it more fun and embrace some of the newer stuff that was uh, that was being brought into this game by younger players. Some really great stuff, you know, bat flips and the like. It's kind of embodied in bat flips, but it's a little bit more than just that. I think, you know, it when you see it. Uh, but T.A. has been on uh, in the forefront on the vanguard of that. And Tony hadn't been in his managerial career. Granted, it was 11 years since he'd managed a ball club, but Tony hadn't been necessarily. Now, he'd grown, Tony had, especially in understanding where that emotion came from, what it meant in this day and age of baseball, and what could be done with it. To both of those guys' credit, and I I think others as well, T.A. and Tony specifically, as we're talking about here, because it's just Tim's thoughts that we can get to. You know, it's just Tim that got asked. But they figured it out. And I think that's pretty meaningful. You know, I think in a lot of cases, a great manager understands that when it's time to get out of the way of your 26 in the clubhouse, 
you get out of the way. You let those dudes handle the work that they are, they're able to handle. And I think the White Sox proved to themselves, to management, to their coaching staff, that they are pretty able to handle themselves throughout a 162-game season. Are there improvements to be made? Yeah, sure. Didn't win the final game of the year. There are always improvements to be made if you didn't win that final game of the season. If you're looking for a way, a new way, rather, to start your game day in 2022, treat your group of 20 or more to a pregame patio party. You'll get two hours of an all-you-can-eat buffet along with unlimited beer, wine, and Coca-Cola products. For more information, visit whitesox.com slash patio or call 312-674-1000. There's a little bit more from TA's end-of-the-year presser. I'll play for you in just a little bit. Going to hit the break now. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. Back in two here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. You've got White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. You can enjoy the best views of the ballpark in 2022 with an all-inclusive experience in premium seating. The Guaranteed Rate Club and Wintrust Scout Seats include flexible payment plans, postseason options, and more. I am, so I, I'll be honest with you. For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit whitesox.com. That's how you get yourself into the Guaranteed Rate Club and or Wintrust Scout Seats, 312-674-1000. Our uh, Len and DJ's broadcast booth is, you know, it's right behind home plate. It's a nice place to watch a game. And right underneath that are the are the scout seats, the Wintrust Scout Seats. I've never had the good fortune of being able to sit in them as a, as a fan. And that's fine. I work the games. I'm not saying I'm not crying or anything like that. But I am telling you, if you're a White Sox fan with the, you know, with the dream of someday sitting in the scout seats, I highly advise that you make that happen for yourself. I literally, During the playoff game, I literally watched a couple of White Sox fans in the scout seats raise their hand, and the, the hot dog guy just chucked a couple of hot dogs to him. They, all they did was raise a hand. A couple of hot dogs. There you go. You're set. You're ready to roll. That is the way to watch a baseball game. I'm sorry. It just is. Anything you want, whenever you need it, as they walk around and throw it to you, it's a good spot to be in. Tim Anderson wrapped up his 2021 season uh, with an over 300 batting average. Third season in a row for Tim to do that. He's, I think, just the ninth White Sox to do that. Or ninth White Sox to, to make three in a row. I think there are a couple of guys that have done it twice. You know, back in the, we're talking 1900s, that kind of thing. Probably not Zeke Benura, but maybe. Anyway, Tim also had a, a postseason press conference. One to wrap up the year. And we just played for you in the last segment his thoughts on Tony LaRussa coming back. He's very pro Tony LaRussa. The two have really kind of come together. And yeah, I think Tony was good for the clubhouse overall. That's that's how Tim was kind of putting it anyway. Tim also was asked what he learned about himself in this 2021 season. That uh, I'm a tough out. Um, I'm a competitor. Um, I love to compete. I love to go out and give, you know, people show. Um, and I love the game, you know. Um, I love to go out every day and, uh, you know, compete at one of the highest level and uh, bring it every day. And, uh, who's going to give it to you every day? But, man, you know, overall, I think it was a great season. Uh, I learned a lot. I grew a lot. I matured a lot. So I just got to, you know, keep building on that and I'll be in a good spot. So Tim Anderson's 2021 was... I think by almost every measure, a very good one. 
309 batting average, a 338 on base percentage, and a 469 slugging percentage. He was limited at times in the season, especially the last month and a half or so. And I guess I should say 123 games played for Tim in 2021. That matches his total from 2019, which was a better year. You know, don't get me wrong. Um, but, a, you know, a better year for T.A. in 2019. It was a fantastic season for Tim in 2019. And so was 2020. I just I'm, I'm trying, I think, and I don't know if you feel this way as well, but as we go through the next off season, you know, this coming off season, I think I'm going to use 21 and 19 as kind of my more instructive forces for what a player looks like, what he's able to do and stuff. And then, you know, really take with a grain of salt 2020. Not to throw it out necessarily or not even to, you know, say, oh, this is this is everything. But just kind of realizing that it's it's 60 games and that may in some cases or may not be in other cases really indicative of, of what a player can do, what he can't do, all that kind of stuff. Now, if a guy got hurt in 2020, if there's an injury that he was you know, kind of still coming back from or dealt with in 2021 or whatever, th- th- you know, those things still matter. Obviously, th- the year happened, and it affected human bodies that play baseball one way or another. Uh, but I think you know, one thing especially, and it doesn't necessarily apply to Tim here, but one thing especially that teams are learning, and, and I heard a lot, you know, coming down the stretch here in 2021 and heading into 22, the workloads for pitchers from 19 to 20, it was a drastic shift. You know, guys shutting it down, warming it back up in the summer, then coming back for 60 games, not really knowing what they were going to feel or if they were going to hit a wall and all that kind of stuff. Then having gone through all of that in a season, shutting it down again after 20, getting it revved back up for a full workload in 2021, I still don't think, as a sport, pitchers, starters especially, but pitchers in general, really are, are kind of there yet again. I don't think they're settled yet again. That's what it sounds like around baseball right now. So I, I think when I say, you know, take 2020 with a grain of salt, the, the largest grain of salt, wow, I'm really killing this metaphor right now, the, the biggest part of that. Is, is pitching, I think, going into 2022 and kind of understanding what we may or may not know. That's one of the takeaways I had from the season, much more specifically Tim Anderson, uh, to kind of wrap up some of the sound here from his postseason press conference, mentioned a couple of things, a couple of takeaways that he had from this last year. Overall, I think it was a positive season. You know, a lot of positives in there. You know, we won a division. That didn't happen last year. Um, we also brought two playoff games to Chicago. That didn't happen last year. Um, so I think it's just, you know, a step um, to where we're trying to get to. And we just got to, you know, keep uh, believing and trusting in that process and, uh, you know, take it step by step. But um, overall, I think it was a it was a huge step um, this year. Uh, we competed, you know, all season, you know, through injuries, really through everything. And, uh, you know, just for us to get to where we you know where we were. Um, it says a lot about the ball club and his organization. That's Tim Anderson, of course, and and some of the injuries that they had to fight through were his. You know, Tim was on the injured list for a hamstring early on in the season. I think it was as they were leaving Seattle and coming back home, if memory serves. Uh, but there was also a hamstring injury that sidelined him late in the year, and before that kept him out of uh, six games in total. He only played six in a span of 12 before going onto the injured list, which, which, which then was uh, a hamstring injury for Tim. 
And I, I think a couple of things. You know, obviously, for a team like the White Sox, who wins a division and has the potential to be a team that stays hot through a postseason, um, and they still are that team, and they were that team heading into this year, even though the, the Astros did everything they could to cool them, cool them off, um, which was obviously unfortunate and, and ended the season in a lot of people's estimation prematurely, there are going to be what-ifs, right? And I, I think it's valuable to look at some of the what-ifs, but not dwell on them too much. Because you know, they're what-ifs, and they're going by the wayside. And all you can do is try and learn uh, from what you knew going into that situation as best you can. But even you'll never know if you'd made the other decision, if you'd made a different decision, whether it plays out all that differently. But one of the what-ifs that I find myself thinking about just a little bit is what if the White Sox could have placed Tim Anderson on the injured list earlier? Yeah, it was four series against the Rays, A's, Blue Jays, and Red Sox. You know, that's the, that would have been the bulk of baseball that Tim would have missed. And remember, heading into those four series, everybody was talking about a chance to right the ship against, a, against winning teams. Uh, a chance for the White Sox to play some meaningful baseball before their schedule settled down and really salt away the division. They hadn't done that yet going into those two weeks of baseball. I wonder now that if if you'd shut Tim down, if you put him on the injured list going into that series, give him a chance to rest up, be healthy for the last three weeks or so, you know, a much more uh, solid stretch of baseball, if things would have looked that differently. I, I don't think it would have. And especially when you look at the production that Tim was able to give the White Sox in the ALDS, how could you ask for a whole lot more? But I wonder if that would have changed things just a little bit. I wonder if it would have altered home field advantage just a little bit. But it's safe to ask yourself, you know, if the White Sox had those two games at home to start the series, how much would that have changed, really? And the Astros outscored the White Sox 13, uh, sorry, 16 to 13 at guaranteed rate field. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. Scott Merkins coming up at 2. When we come back, I want to get into uh, one more piece of news that's been out there for the White Sox as well. It was a tweet about Craig Kimbrell and where the White Sox may or may not be headed with Craig. This is White Sox Weekly. You got the ESPN 1000, Hard Rock Casino, White Sox Network. This is White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000, Hard Rock Casino, White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. We got you until 3 o'clock this afternoon. Talking a little White Sox, trying to wrap up the season the best we can. Point out the ups and the downs, kind of the roller coaster ride the 2021 season was. I mean, every baseball season's a roller coaster, right? It's rare you get a year like the Dodgers or Giants had where you're winning 106, 107 games. And shoot, even look at that. I think it's fun looking back at the season and kind of picking out some individual teams, comparing them a little bit. That's what you do, I think. You know, the White Sox had the division wrapped up almost all season long. I mean, really, since the All-Star break, the White Sox knew they were going to win a division. Certainly going into the trade deadline, they made the moves accordingly uh, to try and go ahead and wrap this up and make themselves better for a postseason run. 93-69 and 69 in the season, you knew the AL Central was going to belong to the White Sox. Contrast that with the Los Angeles Dodgers, who are in the NLCS. And actually, that game against the Braves is tonight? Yeah, it's tonight, 7 o'clock, 7.08, something like that. 
Dodgers and Braves in the NLCS. I was pretty stunned that the Braves beat out the Brewers, to be honest with you. But when the Brewers just didn't score any runs, I kind of thought, huh, no, that's them. Anyway, talking about baseball seasons being a roller coaster, the White Sox run a fairly even one. Injuries, I think, moved a lot of people up and down, you know, especially kind of measuring the temperature of the postgame show. There were injuries, and, and you know, without Aloy, without Luis Robert, without Yasmani Grandal at different points, it was like, oh, man, how are the White Sox going to make it through this one? It's kind of like watching the Dukes of Hazard going into commercial break. How are the Duke boys going to get out of this one? And they did. You know, like every time, they kind of did. Compare that, though, with the Dodgers. They won 106 games. All season long, you win, the Giants win. So in what should have been just a smooth coast to a division title, Giants, or Dodgers fans, rather, are going, oh, my, how are we going to do this? And now we got to face the Cardinals in a one-game playoff, and they just won 17 in a row? I mean, any kind of season, no matter the quality of a team, could be a roller coaster. And I, I think to a certain degree, every season is. But to that end, I was kind of looking at individual performances before I hit the last break. We heard from Tim Anderson, who had his season wrap-up press conference with White Sox beat reporters uh, just the other day, endorsed Tony La Russa coming back, talked about some of the things that he learned in the season, uh, the lessons he learned, all that kind of stuff. And I wanted to spend some time here on the show talking about a few individual seasons for the White Sox. And just a, a couple more thoughts on T.A. as he wrapped, wrapped up his age 28 season, playing shortstop for the White Sox. I think this year was his best defensive season. There were some issues later on in the year, a couple of throwing issues that I think had mostly to do with his coming back off the injured list and getting his timing back together. You know, there's timing at the plate, but there's also timing on the field. And I thought it took Tim a couple of games to get that back. But you look overall at this at the just the level of production from Tim, knowing that he had to play a little less than 100% for a good percentage of the season – and you kind of go, you know, a 4.6 wins above replacement season on baseball reference. Anyway, that's his highest. 4.2 in 2019. That's the year he won the batting title at 335 with the average. Slugged 469. And, I, you know, that's, that's a pretty good slugging percentage for a shortstop, no doubt about it. But I think Tim's capable of just a little bit more power output for the White Sox. 17 home runs this year, three off his career high. That was in 2018 when he hit 20, and in 2019 he hit 18. But I'm not talking about raw home run totals. I'm talking a little bit more like doubles and and maybe even triples, though I I think Tim probably could have gripped it and ripped it a few more times in the season. Still, remember, you know, he's he's not playing at 100% capacity, perhaps. Not in 100% of the season, anyway. I think you look at Tim Anderson's 2021 and go, that's one of the American League's best shortstops. There are other good ones, no doubt about it. That position has become something completely different than what I grew up watching it as. You know, I'm 30-whatever, it doesn't matter. And I remember when the, the it was a Sports Illustrated? Yeah, it was a Sports Illustrated cover that came out, and it was Nomar and Alex Rodriguez and Edgar Renteria, and I forget the fourth shortstop. Maybe it was Ray Ardonias, but I don't think it was. I can't remember. And all of them, they've got their shirts off, and they're glistening on this cover, and it's like, look, we're shortstops, and we hit for power now. The 2000s were a weird time, man. 
the, the late night. Tyler Aki's our producer on the other side, and I think he was probably a baby. Fun when time, but weird time. Fun time, but weird time, right? I mean, it was like they were a boy band on the cover of that sports. I think I, I somewhat remember that Look one. Look at a Google. I'm going mean, to Google this Yeah, one. Google that one. It's, it's weird. But when I grew up, you know, before that, before that cover came out, I mean, we're talking about shortstops for, for the most part. They were all glove dudes. I mean, just, just play elite defense, hit a little bit, and we'll be just fine. Thank you. I mean, White Sox fans are well acquainted with a, a season like, um, like Ozzy had, right? You chip in a little bit with the bat, things will be fine. Play elite defense, and, and we'll be okay. Ozzie Smith had a series like that. It's not that there weren't shortstops that couldn't hit. Cal Ripken could hit. You know, I mean, these guys existed. How good he was defensively is a different question, but he could hit. I think Tim Anderson was one of the AL's best. Tyler, did you find that Sports Illustrated cover? I was did. It, it was SI, right? It, it was SI. Uh, so you had those, those names right, and then it looks like, is that Jimmy Rollins and Alex Gonzalez? I don't think it was Jimmy Rollins. Okay. I think that would have been SI. Mm, yeah, this is oh, no, you are right. It is Ray Ordonez. It is Ray Ordonez, mm-hmm. right? And then Edgar Renteria. Yeah, Edgar Renteria. Mm-hmm. Edgar Renteria. God, it was a weird time. It was a strange, strange time for all of us, that late 90s, 2000. What, what was the year on that cover? Do you have that? want to say it was working on it um 97 97 okay yeah so i guess it was after renneria had the walk-off hit for the marlins in the 97 world series that whole thing yeah so that was that new era but when i grew up it was it was a little bit different anyway all that to say spectacular season by tim anderson i'll dig into another white Sox player when we come back i think one of the um one of the most underrated or under talked about great seasons for the white Sox in 2021 and i think the reason it's great is because of what it may mean for next year. We'll get into that next. A little bit of a timing change here. We're going to talk with Scott Merck, and he'll be uh, in studio at 2.30. Merck's coming in. We're going to hang out with Scott, so that'll be fun. He covers the White Sox for MLB.com. He'll hop in at 2.30. I'm Connor McKnight. This is White Sox Weekly. It's the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Welcome back. It's White Sox Weekly. I'm Connor McKnight. You've got the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Get right back to the show. Ten seconds here for Station ID. Talking a little bit about the 2021 White Sox. I'll tell you one player that I was thinking about quite a bit as I was uh, prepping for this show and getting things ready uh, for where we wanted to head. I I wanted to kind of point out some of the developments, some of the... I don't know, bright spots, boxes checked for the White Sox in 2021. And there's one guy to me that I think, you know, maybe was a little undersung through the season, but deserves just a little bit of praise and a little bit of uh, a little bit of underlining as we head into the offseason here. That guy, that guy's Dylan Cease. One, two pitch swing and a miss strike three. Looked like a curveball to get him. Yeah, it was. He snapped the curveball off, and it had some bite on it. So established the slider in the at-bat, the fastball, and the curveball. And the pitch, swing and a miss, strike three. Back-to-back Ks to start the second. 3-2, swing and a miss, strike three. Cease just fanned the side in the second. That's Len and DJ, of course, on the call. Dylan Cease striking out the side. I'm going to say that was against the Tigers because Dylan had a lot of success against the Tigers through his complete game shutout there and a seven inning affair. Dylan Cease finished the season with a 3.91 ERA. He struck out 226 batters. That is the eighth highest strikeout total for a White Sox pitcher in franchise history. 
He walked 68 and gave up 20 home runs. So some things to improve maybe going into next season. But overall, you take a look at this, and I think this matters quite a bit. In fact, there are just a couple of players on this White Sox roster now. You know, Obviously, there could be some additions and changes and whatnot. A couple of White Sox players only that may matter more to the White Sox in 2022 than Dylan Cease. I think he's right up there. I'm going to tell you why. From 2020 to 2021, Dylan Cease pretty much doubled his strikeout percentage. From 2020 to 2021, Dylan Cease nearly cut his walk percentage in half. That's pretty wild. I mean, that's, that, is a, that is an immense improvement from year to year. Especially when you consider the exact thing that got Dylan Cease into trouble all 2020 was letting innings get out of hand. I mean, there were parts, there were points, rather, he could walk the ballpark. He cut the ERA down by a tenth of a point, 4.01 from 2020 to 3.91 in 2021. And I think that it's pretty evident that within Dylan Cease's kind of arsenal, his skill set, his pitch mix, and everything like that, you've got now truly what could be a frontline kind of guy. Now, I'm not skipping over his performance against the Astros in Game 3. I'm going to get to that in just a second. And, in fact, I, I look at that quite a bit when I think about what the year was for Dylan Cease. But I want to point this out first. 2021 was Dylan Cease's first full year. That's not an excuse. That's just a fact. He made 14 starts in his first season in 2019 as a 23-year-old, 73 innings. In 2020, obviously, everybody knows what that was and what it wasn't. But 58 and a third innings, 12 starts, not a lot of work. He more than doubled his innings total from his first two seasons in 2021. More than doubled it. Went to the post 32 times. A league leading 32 times. I cannot express to you how valuable it is to have a guy available and throwing 160 and 150 innings at this point in Major League Baseball. Just you know, considering how much we use starters or don't use starters or let them work things out and how much we don't. Here's another thing I think. And I really believe this. I don't know if you do. 312-332-3776. But that start against the Astros, where things went wild on him in the second inning. Came out in the first, nails. Looked great. Second inning, not so much. Got behind. After two out, too. We saw a lot of those starts from Dylan Cease this year. And in like 70% of them, where he kind of lost it for an inning. He was allowed to stay in, came back, figured things out, kept the team in it. Might not have been a quality start, you know, six innings, three earned or less. But he figured it out. Kept the team in the game. White Sox were able to hang around. Whether they won it or not, that's another conversation. Bullpen arms factor into that, who they're playing, all that kind of stuff. But more times than not, Dylan Cease got himself out of those starts. Or I guess maybe a better way to put it is he kept himself in those starts earned his way back into those starts. I think the difference, and a very understandable one, but a difference is when you're down 0-2 to the Astros in your one home game, 
your one, you know, guaranteed home game, considering you're down 0-2. Tony La Russa and Ethan Katz and Kurt Hassler and the rest of the White Sox pitching infrastructure, decision-making apparatus, all that kind of You can't afford to figure out whether that's a start Dylan is going to get himself back into or not. They had to go to the bullpen there. Absolutely had to. But I think that's both a plus for Dylan Cease and something to improve on, too. He's got to get better, I think, about keeping himself in the ball game. He can't be wild in a strike zone, especially with the kind of stuff that he has. I mean, he could, and, and you heard Yasmani Grandal talk about it as, as the season started, and you heard DJ talk about it quite a bit all year long. He could aim for the middle, throw his stuff, and just let it work and probably be okay more times than not. That's the kind of stuff he's working with. I see Dylan Cease, especially when you consider the White Sox rotation heading into 2022, and I don't want to look too far forward, but I will just a little bit. The White Sox rotation is one that you could probably, I mean, you might be able to say, we got it and it's done for now. Lance Lynn, Lucas Giolito, Dylan Cease, probably Michael Kopech and Carlos Rodon. Some combination of those five are going to be the, you know, the five intended starters for 2022. That means, since you're, you're not getting, you know, in theory, it's, and it's possible the White Sox could bring back Carlos Rodon, but we're going to get into that in a, in a little bit more detail in a later show. Somebody in that rotation needs to step up. Somebody, and I think multiple guys can, but somebody has to. I think that guy could be Dylan Cease. To say nothing of Michael Kopech, who I expect big things from as well. Out to the phone lines we go in Bolingbrook. It's Reggie. Reggie, you're on White Sox Weekly. What's up, man? Hey, uh, you know, I think the Sox missed the boat on um, on Dallas Keiko because the, the Astros are a fast-pitch hitting team. And uh, Keiko is an off-speed pitcher. And I, I really think that he could have kept them off balance a lot better than, say, uh, uh, Kopech and uh, the other kid that you were just discussing. Cease. Uh, it, it just seems it's, it just seems to me that Keuchel is more of a a pitcher, you know, as opposed to a a thrower who is trying to find his way. Well, and so I just want to hear what you think about that. Sure, Reggie. Appreciate the phone call. In two and two thirds innings against the Houston Astros back on June twentieth, which I believe was his only start yeah his only start against the Astros Dallas Keuchel allowed seven hits gave up six runs three of them earned he committed an error in that game it was a comebacker that he threw away so a couple of those you know not on his tab as far as earned runs he walked four and struck out three I don't know that Dallas Keuchel was was ever going to be a guy that and listen here's two things one is I don't know that you could have with real great confidence pitched Dallas Keuchel in that series for a whole bunch of different reasons to say nothing of the fact that in the last two months of the season Dallas threw 48 and a third and had an ERA over seven 7.08 I don't think it mattered much the speed that the Astros were seeing at the plate whether it was 91 or 98 they were able to turn the fastball around it's about sequencing and situation and unfortunately the White Sox regardless of whether your name was Lance Lynn or Craig Kimbrell or Liam Hendricks even. If you got behind in the count, the Astros turned it around. Head back out to the phone lines in Gurney. It's James. What's up, James? You're on White Sox Weekly. 
Hey, bud, how are you, Con? It was a it was a difficult thing to watch. I'm a Cubs fan, but I'm not a Sox hater. So I just want to talk a little bit about the inability of this pitching staff to kind of adjust. I'm going to put that on Cats and, and the game plan. And I know Lance Lynn's heavy fastball, and I understand Giolito was just trying to get too cute, but I think you've got to come out and do things a little bit differently. Even in, in reference to football, if you know you're going to run the ball, sometimes you've got to throw the ball on rundowns and vice versa. But the Kopech situation is something I think is their own fault. I know that the kid was coming off of Tommy John, but building him up for the playoffs, I think that they could have built his arm strength up a little bit. I mean, asking too much of a kid that never goes back to back, but then in the playoffs against a fastball-hitting team, you're going to throw him in there. So sure. I just question their decision-making. And the two left-handed kids do. I just I want to question – I was wondering you. You've seen it all year long. So yeah, just their inability to really have a plan against the Astros and their ability to really build up Kopech's arm a little bit more for the playoff run. So it was a disappointing season. They're way too right-handed. Grundahl is a good football, a good baseball player. He's just not a catcher. That's why the Dodgers got rid of him. So I think there's a lot of holes to fill. Just wanted to get your thoughts and better luck next year. James, thanks, appreciate Connor. Good job you, man. this year too, bud. Oh, thanks. I, I, I thank you for that as well. A lot in there. Um, let, let's get to this part first, the Kopech thing. I think it's a fair point to make, James, about Michael Kopech and, and how things needed to be ramped up for him later in the season. But let's not forget that that doesn't happen in a vacuum, right? It's It's not just one thing. It's not just... You know, the White Sox looking back and saying, hey, you know what? We got to work Michael Kopech a little bit harder in this last month of the season, see if we can't get a lot more out of him. There there were reasons that all of a sudden Michael Kopech needed to get extended, and that's because Carlos Rodon's situation was unclear at best. You know, he came out there in one start, I think it was against the Blue Jays, throwing 91-92, and it was like, oh, my goodness, what are we, uh, Tigers, I think. But what are we doing here? Where's the velocity? How healthy is he? Tony La Russa never really seemed to know. Carlos never really seemed to know. And I think that's it's understandable. He just hadn't been in a situation like this in three years where he was a guy that was expected or really even able to get to the mound on a regular basis. So for that reason, that the White Sox all of a sudden had a big question mark attached to their ace all year long, Carlos Rodon could have, I mean, shoot. If you, if you, I know it's hard to do, right? But if you copy and pasted Rodon's first half onto the second half, that's your Cy Young winner, and it ain't close. I mean, it's not close. But that isn't what happened. And Rodon's situation became, oh, I, I don't know how often he can throw. And even when he was really dealing and spitting seeds, he wasn't starting every fifth day. The White Sox were trying to find him, you know, an extra day of rest, get him to six, get him to seven, all that kind of stuff. And that was all the right plan. That's what you had to do to get that monster out there on the mound as often as you could and terrify opposing offenses. When you found out that, that may not happen for you heading into the postseason series against the Astros, you had to come up with other options. And oftentimes, especially late in the season, you know, with, three weeks, four weeks to go, you don't have great options available to you. You just have to kind of say, okay, this isn't a fair ask, but we need to make it. And the guy they had to ask it of was Michael Kopech. And it didn't, I I mean, listen, there's a lot of conversation about whether Kopech should have been out there in the fifth to start the fifth, rather, in game two. That's when Lucas Giolito went back out. He walked out Tuve, got a fly out, and then walked the third hitter believe that was Bregman at the time, uh, and then gets lifted out of the game, in, and that's Garrett Crochet coming in. 
Well, should it have been Michael Kopech? Well, I, unfortunately, you know, Kopech's numbers in both the games he pitched weren't great. He allowed six earned runs. So, you know, to that end, yeah, it might have been a better idea. In hindsight's twenty twenty, and all of these pitching moves are predicated on, well, did you pick the right guy? That's A, number one. Did the guy succeed? That's maybe even more important. We don't know the other side of that coin. I think Kopech's a starter. I think that's the pitch mix you move him into. I think it's you're you're ready for that as both a player and an organization. I think those are the next steps there. Between him and Dylan Cease, I feel pretty confident knowing that you're going to get some solid production out of those two guys toward the back end, you know, the three, four spot, the four, five spot, depending on what happens with Dallas Keuchel in that White Sox rotation. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number. Sox fans, you can get the latest team gear to rep all season long at the Chicago Sports Depot. Be sure to follow the White Sox store on Instagram for series sales and more. For hours and store information, visit whitesocks.com slash depot. I'm Connor McKnight. Scott Merkin, MLB.com is our guest at 2.30. Your phone calls when we come back. It's White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. It's White Sox Weekly on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. That's right. Season might be over, but White Sox Weekly will never, ever stop. It's our final two-hour version of the show today, and we're going to have Scott Merkin of MLB.com join us in studio to help wrap up the 2021 season. But after today, all White Sox Weekly shows... We'll start at 9 a.m. on Saturdays and go until 10. We've got a one-hour version for your consumption. Remember, if you're tooling around, you know, big White Sox fan, you've been listening to the show all year, but usually you know, tuning in before the pregame show starts on Saturdays, get your whole White Sox afternoon all set and ready to go for your Saturdays. Uh, and you're like, ah, oh, man, you know, 9 to 10, that's just not my, you know, I got the kids, I got, I got breakfast to make, I work or whatever. That's cool. We got you. Check it out the ESPN Chicago app. Every White Sox show, every White Sox weekly show is available for download. So in case you miss the interviews with a guy like Scott Merkin or, you know, some of the stuff we played from Tim Anderson, or maybe you, maybe you called the show and you just want to play it back for your friends and family because that's cool. You can do that. Just download the ESPN Chicago app. Scroll on down to the White Sox weekly page. Download each and every episode as you like it. It's, uh, it's a great app. It just kind of, it works and that's a big thing. Big step in our industry, an app that works. Some places don't have that. We do. Upgrade your game day experience in 2022 to a private diamond suite. It's the perfect space for hosting family and friends or entertaining clients for a game. For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit whitesocks.com. Teased this a little while ago during the show. And I think it's a good time to bring it up now since we got Merck coming in. In just a couple of minutes, just the other day, two days ago, in fact, a report was out from Bob Nightingale on Twitter concerning the White Sox. I'm going to pull it up right now because I want to try and get it in its entirety. Um, But it concerned the White Sox and their uh, continued relationship, their contract status with Craig Kimbrell. So in order to... In order to make this this clear, or at least as, as clear as I can, 
Kimbrell has an option for next season. It is a $16 million option. The buyout on that option for Kimbrell is reportedly uh, $1 million. And there would have been a way that the option would have been guaranteed for this season. He didn't meet those parameters. Uh, It would have been finishing uh, 110 games, I think, in, in 2021 and 2022. That's not there. So the White Sox have an option to pick up if they so choose. Bob Nightingale tweeted out uh, two days ago, three days ago, that the White Sox are expected to pick up the option for Craig Kimbrell and then trade him during the offseason. Now, this is a very early report on things. And Bob has gotten a couple of things right about the White Sox, to be sure. And like everybody, you know, I got a couple of things wrong. I think that's a fair way to put this, right? Kimbrell's time at the White Sox did not work out in the way that everybody had hoped. Uh, Five ERA, it was a struggle for him at times. There were some lockdown innings, and I've said it at least 100 times on White Sox Weekly and postgame shows and whatever. I think each playoff shot is a sacred thing. It's valuable. And when you've got a chance to win the World Series, and the White Sox absolutely did at the trade deadline and into the postseason for that matter, Had they come back against the Astros, I would have loved the White Sox chances against the Red Sox in the ALCS. All that said, you got a chance to win a World Series, you make that trade. You make that trade 10 times out of 10 and twice on Sundays. You absolutely make that deal. Now, as for next season, you know, and and this is why I think you you probably have to look a little bit, you know, just kind of squinty-eyed a little bit. You're going to wonder some about whether or not this is where the White Sox are truly headed with Craig Kimbrell. A couple of things right off the bat. We don't know what the new CBA is going to look like at all. I assume that a couple of transactions, you know, kind of the ones, the post-World Series ones, the things like extending a qualifying offer or picking up an option, some of those kind of paperwork deals, I assume a lot of those will get taken care of as per usual. But that means, in my estimation, that means absolutely nothing when it comes to future moves, when it comes to how this CBA may change the way teams and players and agents and everybody does business or the way they have to do business. So the, 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 the earliness of this tweet, of this report, was kind of, that's uh, a little surprising to me. Also this. Let's play out the hypothetical, Sam. We'll talk to Scott Merkin about this in a little bit. If you were to move Craig Kimbrell in this offseason, I would expect that you know you could get a pretty solid return. But I wouldn't expect it to be a, a major league reliever. And the White Sox will need to add to the bullpen. Because the expectation is that, that Michael Kopech is going to be in the rotation next year one way or another, right? I think White Sox fans everywhere are kind of nodding along. Yeah, that's, that's you want Michael Kopech in that rotation. The White Sox have talked for years about Garrett Crochet. Well, two years anyway, about Garrett Crochet getting in the rotation. And if you've got five at the major league level, you have to wonder. And I think it'll be a question for Rick Hahn when he has his you know end of year press conference at some point this next week. Whether or not Garrett Crochet may need some time in the minors to get stretched out and become the starting pitcher that the White Sox expect him to be. So that's your second lefty, probably, maybe, out of the bullpen. Aaron Bummer and Liam Hendricks are coming back. Ryan Tapera is a free agent. 
And I expect with the production he was able to put up and the postseason performance that he'll get some big money. And I would love for the White Sox to extend that relationship some. But if he's on the marketplace, he's got other places he might want to go. That leaves the White Sox bullpen with Jose Ruiz and Matt Foster and Ryan Burr. Reynaldo Lopez was very good for the Sox, better as a starter than he was as a reliever this season, but he's an arm out there. After that, I mean, you you could probably use an arm or two. That's why I wouldn't be so quick to just, you know, if, if I were making the decisions, and who knows, we might not be at this point yet, but I wouldn't be so quick to just say, yeah, trade him. Yeah, it's Craig, trade him, let him go. I wouldn't be so quick to do that, especially just from a, a body standpoint, from a construct a bullpen kind of standpoint. And remember this, too. Bullpens are fickle things. Just because you had a great season last year as a bullpen, and the White Sox did have a pretty good season as a bullpen, but not the one they wanted to, doesn't mean that you can just you know copy and paste it over to next year. Bullpens are weird that way. The variance is high. 312-332-3776. That's the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. Scott Merkin, beat reporter for the uh, for MLB.com, is going to join us in just a couple of minutes. We'll start wrapping the season with Merck when we come back. I'm Connor McKnight. This is the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. A special treat for us here on the final two-hour edition of White Sox Weekly this season. Scott Merkin, MLB beat reporter for the White Sox, is uh, here joining us in studio. This is uh, this is big. This is this is big for us. This is the get, as we call it in the radio industry. Yeah, I didn't see the. Uh the trip over here this morning when I woke up. No, I bet not. I'm happy to be here. But you learn something new every day. I had no idea Joe Coy was performing at Chicago Theater this weekend, but it's sold out. I didn't know that either. And I had no idea there's a medieval torture museum across the street on State Street from the ESPN studios. I didn't. Oh, yeah, that's new. That's brand new. The medieval torture museum. It's new. I can't even imagine what's inside. Here's the thing. Did we learn new things about medieval torture recently? (laughs) They're like, you know what? We got to have a museum. You did like the we didn't know we knew about thumb screws and the whole thing. And like, they have like a pop up. Is it like a pop up Halloween store? I think over on those are Ontario. Yeah. There's one right near like it used to be a Fleming Steakhouse. Now it's a gigantic CVS. Here's what. Here's the thing about those pop up Halloween stores. I I like smell is the sense that's closest tied to memory, right? Or at right. least that's what we're told over and over again. Anyone who's ever been in one of those pop up Halloween stores knows exactly how it smells. Think about it. Yeah. You know what that smell is. It's like fake mask and cheap cellophane. Right. Ever, like, you know that smell. It's kind of like, what's the smell you remember from a kit rug store, right? Oh, God. You always remember the rug smell when you go, you want your parents to buy a couch or buy rugs always. or something Every like that. Always. Every time. Yeah. You're sitting yeah. there, just kind of waiting, yep. hating it. You're not really into it. You were promised a toy or maybe a trip to Somewhere Toys R Us. ice cream afterwards that or something ain't like happening. that. Yeah. You know it as well as no. they do. There's a, you there's get a, the rug. There's a familiar smell to every spring when you get down onto the field. But you get to sit on the couch at least. That's you, true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. You get to sit on the couch. But there is. There's a familiar smell when you get to on the field sure. for the first time. For spring training. Out in yeah. Arizona, yeah. something like that. First time it rains out there, that kind of thing. It's all kind of stuff. Yeah, it's usually like one of three to. times it rains out there, right? Yeah. It doesn't, and, it's, and it's only that. It's only three times. When it rains in Arizona, you know it. There's. It's not a real tough job to be a weather forecaster <laughs> in Arizona or <laughs> like Las hot. Vegas because you come on, you know, from what – March until I would guess November and say, it. yeah, it's hot. Be yeah, careful. And then hot. you come out in November and say it's not as hot. And then the four times it rains, you're like, hey, be careful. It's going to flood. And that's it. You'll cover your pools and watch that's out for right. scorpions. That's, that's right. About it. Yeah. So 
considering the concerning the offseason, right. I, I want to start here with you, Mark. And and this is where this is where we just left off in the prior segments. We talked about this. Um, there was the report from uh, Bob Nightingale about the White Sox and what they may or may not choose to do with the option on Craig Kimbrell. Right. Now, his report was the White Sox have decided to pick up the option and trade him during the offseason. How are you uh, taking a look at that at this point in the year? Well, I think, you know, picking up the option kind of makes sense. That was something Rick Hahn talked about when they got him, you know, because they they gave away, you know, two pretty good pieces in trading him and Nick Madrigal, who's going to be starting second baseman for the Cubs, and Cody Hoyer, who, you know, I think is a real talented kid, real nice kid, and is going to pitch high leverage innings for the Cubs at some point and did some this year, mm-hmm. you know, although I don't know how high leverage it is when you are got 90 losses, but you know what I'm saying. He's going to pitch late to find in games. Those, yeah. yeah. But I, I understood the Hoyer part of it because of the fact that you're – in your mind, you're upgrading, right? You're adding your your desires to win this year, and Kimbrel gives you a better chance to win this year. It didn't work out that way. Now, the second part about you're going to trade him, I mean, I, I guess there are always teams looking for closers, and he was an outstanding closer with the Cubs. My goodness. I mean, mm-hmm. look at those numbers when he was with the Cubs for the first half of the season, or I guess a little more than half of the season. You know, him and Hendricks were probably the best two closers in baseball, going into that point and you know I, I don't buy in the fact that you can't if you're a closer you can't pitch the eighth or you can't pitch the seventh or you can't pitch the fifth Corey Kniebel was a closer for a long time and he's going to make his second start today That's in the right. playoffs right? right and a very good closer at that not, not Kimbrel good Kimbrel's got 370 career saves but I get that Kimbrel probably would prefer to be a closer I, I know he understood that this year he was you know that Tony gave the story about how they were going to know when they were going to pitch, and, you know, it just seemed like Liam Hendricks was the closer, and, right. and rightfully so. After those two games where he felt like he was tipping pitches against the Yankees, where I think he gave up, like, seven runs in an inning and two-third, you know, the um, the Field of Dreams and then the game after that, right. I think he had one run until the the last playoff game the rest of the season. He was lights out. So it makes sense, but I would, I would think that it wouldn't, you know, it would, be, it would behoove the Sox for their sake and for Kimbrel's sake, to look and see if there are options out there for that are closers available. Well, to to that end, then you know, how do the White Sox start to look at the bullpen for twenty twenty two? I don't want to spend a, a ton of time looking, you know, that far forward, especially right. since we've got a CBA to figure out here before. Exactly. Um, but the reason I bring it up is because you know Craig Kimbrel wasn't the guy. In fact, I don't think there was one guy. That cost the White Sox the series. No, no, not at all. It wasn't that all. kind of. Are you talking just against Houston or overall? Houston, yeah, just yeah. I think Houston. Houston was the better team in that series, it, right? It, I mean, and that's not saying the Sox are a bad team. I just think Houston played better baseball from start to finish. I think the Sox fed a lot off that crowd Sunday night, which was insane. Oh, absolutely! Insane. Just a crazy. I mean, really, as close to the blackout game in 08 that I've seen in terms of you know the years I've covered them. But I think I don't know. There's no. I mean, you know, the starting rotation. No yeah. one went. No one completed five innings. Now, granted. You look around baseball in the playoffs, and any starter that goes above five is kind of a godsend at this point, it seems like. Well, you it's, know? it's wild. You know, you look back to the first start Lance McCullers made right. in the series, six and two-thirds, if memory right. serves, right. and he had a couple of strikeouts. He's very good. That that may stand out, or, or does so far, as right. one of the best playoff starts. And you know Scherzer, assuming his arm is, is yeah. and not his arm, but you're assuming his endurance is good after pitching the, closing the game five out against the Giants. Right. He'll give you six or seven just out of sheer determination and grit, pretty much. That guy's crazy good. I mean, Hall of Famer, right? Going to be a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I don't think there's any way Max Scherzer doesn't make right. a Hall of Fame. But I'm saying, you know, the starters, which were so good all year, you didn't get even right. close to a quality start in any of the four starts you had. I, I thought Rodon... Had a really nice effort in that game four. I thought he kind of left all. I, I'm sure they let him know 
like they've told us, Ethan Katz told us in Houston and Tony LaRusso said, you know, we'll take whatever we can get from him, whether it's an inning, five innings. And I'm sure they said, go all out. Not that he doesn't go all out in every start. Right. But if you know you're going six or seven innings, you might pace yourself a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, if we have to get you in the second, that's fine. If we have to get you in the fifth, even better. But, you know, I thought he was impressive, you know, hitting 99 in that. But, I mean, you know, there's, to make a long answer short at this point, which is too late, but, yeah, it was not no. great Kimbrough's fault why they did not beat the Astros. In this. Well, I guess there's to no that chance. point, and, and you brought up Carlos Rodon here, I, I guess the reason I bring it up is because, to me, Kimbrell and to a, to a lesser degree, but Kopech and Rodon are all kind of linked. Because if you were to make this move where you're, you're trading Craig Kimbrell, then you're probably also putting Kopech in the rotation. And whether Carlos resigns with you or not, you know, you don't really know. But the expectation seems to be he'll test free agency. And if the White Sox are, are willing to move on, then that'll be right. the case. Right. Then I don't know what this bullpen looks like. It's Bummer and Hendricks and then some of the guys that filled in for the rest of the year, including Renato Lopez, Ryan Burr, Evan Marshall, if he comes right. back. To pa- right. I mean, there are arms you need. To para. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's... So early on in the offseason, we're not even a week out yet, so there's a lot. And we haven't talked to Rick Hahn yet, you know, in kind of the season wrap thing. And it so sounds like that'll be this week. It sounds like point, this right? week yeah. at some point, yeah. I mean, we did you know, have a good conversation with Jose via Zoom and uh, Tim Anderson via Zoom. And they both kind of sounded you know, worn out at this yeah. point, understandably so. Yeah. That this was not just a long season going from 60 to 162, but dealing with all the injuries, dealing with still the COVID protocols and, you know, kind of concerns about that. So I think, you know, it was they were ready to enjoy some time off there. But, you know, I know Kopech wants to be a starter. I know Garrett Crochet wants to be a starter. Neither guy threw a ton of innings this year, right? right. I don't have the numbers in front of me. But I'll get him in a sec, yeah. it wasn't uh, It wasn't innings that you would say, okay, you can jump them to like 180 next year from where they're at. And what if they decide, I mean, I know he does not, he wants to start, but what if they decide Michael Kopech is a reliever again next year? Now, granted, there's always free agent relievers out there, right? And there's always relievers you can get through a trade. You, you have the most important piece. You have a lockdown closer, you know, for a couple years still in Liam Hendricks. So I think, and you have another great setup guy in Bummer. Right. Who's, the, you had a, you know, real solid second half for the White Sox. And is, you know, really a, a, one of the better setup guys, I think, in the American League. Great ground ball guy. I mean, what did he have, like, you know, one fly out in, like, his last month of the season? I think it was, I think it was two, one in the postseason, one was a pop out to third. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, and, and then the one, someone had a home run off him, too. I can't think, I can't remember who it was. You're right. It um, was. I think it was in a Yankee series. I was just looking at it. I'll find that, too. Yeah. Anyway, and, just to answer the question, uh, Kopech 69 and a third innings, Crochet 54 and a third innings. So you're right. I mean, so, I mean, they're both certainly not going to go into the rotation next year. And you do have pieces there already, right? You have Lucas Giolito. Of course. You have Dylan Cease, you have uh, Lance Lynn, you have Dallas Keuchel, you have Ronaldo Lopez, and then maybe Kopech or Crochet, and you can add someone else in there if Rodon, you know, leaves via free agency. So I think the bullpen is something you need to address, and they tried to do it. You know, they made a bold move in trading a guy like Madrigal and trading Hoyer for Kimbrell, and it just, you know, in, in the sense of not that it cost them, but it didn't work out the way they wanted it. When you look back at 2021, mm-hmm. is there a standout player from the season that that you think rises above the rest of the year or was this not that kind of a season for the White Sox and I don't think one is better than the other necessarily I mean you can look back through the Angels and go oh yeah Mike Trout every year well they make a lot of playoff teams you know right well I think a a bunch for different reasons Liam Hendricks because he was what was advertised you know they saw him people forget that in game two against the A's, they almost got Liam Hendricks late in that game. I think he threw That's like right. 50 pitches, That's, the, the, and the, 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 Jake Diekman ended up getting a really hard-hit ground ball by Jose with the bases loaded in the ninth to end that game. But then, to, to show the medal of Hendricks, 
he came back the next day and struck out the side to finish the season off, or you know, or finish the Sox season off in Oakland's win. So I think for him, he lived up to his expectations. Luis Robert just showing that you know if you want a an early kind of underdog MVP for the AL in 2022, it's Robert, and just showing how much he's grown even with the time off for the right hip 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 flexor tear. Say that ten times fast. Can't compared to what he did in September last year. Just the different kind of player he is. I mean, he is. You know, I know Frank has said this, Frank Thomas, and I know Tony LaRusso has quoted him saying he's a six-tool player, but he's got to be one of the best athletes in baseball. So uh, do we know why or exactly if it was right leg tightness we have that lifted not, him from that game? I, I think that would be a Rick Hahn update, too. If not you know? one of the first five questions, and right. certainly down in there. I right, mean, right. Figuring in, right out if that there. was anything up to do with that Absolutely. hip flexion. I mean, for him to come out even in a 7-1 game, yeah. you know it was not, you know, in, in great condition at that point because – He's the quote-unquote gamer. And then the other one I wanted to throw in there oh, is feel free. Yeah. Jose Abreu. I mean, Jose Abreu finished with 30 home runs and 117 RBIs, and I don't know if I've seen a baseball player. It's not funny because he wouldn't think it's funny, but get beat up more in one season than Jose Abreu did. And he yet he played, what, 152 games, had COVID in spring training. I mean, the fact that he was playing a day after he ran full force into Hunter Dozier, and they're both 230-plus, right? Yeah. You know, and, and yeah. Built, Built pretty solidly. Not like there's a lot to absorb to it. There, it's like running a wall into a wall. You know, got hit in the knee when the umpire tried to flip the bat away. Hurt his ankle sliding home on a wild pitch. Had the flu the last week and yet still kept going to the post, you know, every day for the White Sox. I mean, there's there's a reason why the, when the players talk about him, it's not just lip service about, you know, oh, yeah, he's our guy. We yeah. love Jose. There's a genuine... I don't want to say affection, and I don't want to say reverence because that's too much, but general high-level respect for Jose. And, you need, and you know, the fact is he's not – it's not like you're carrying him and he's hitting 175 and not doing anything. The guy is still, you know, maybe they're one of their better offensive forces for what he's expected to do. This was his third-worst season by OPS, okay. and it was 831. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's, you can live with that as a team. If you're, if you're trying to carry the 831 OPS yeah, guy, that's not bad. you're doing okay. That's not bad. And I get they have a lot of guys who are similar. You know, Andrew Vaughn, Gavin Sheets, both kind of first baseman, DH first, then maybe outfielders. You know, Aloy Jimenez probably eventually is going to be a DH. But, you know, Jose's got one more year on the contract. Yeah, I remember talking to Jose... In Arizona, it was one of those like exhibition, those goofy exhibition games before oh, you go yeah, before you go to the regular season, yeah. and just shooting the breeze and about how much longer he wanted to play. And I didn't get the sense that he didn't give me an exact time, but you know he's played a long time in Cuba before this. This next year will be his ninth with the White Sox, right? Yeah, that'll be number nine. Yeah. So I would think that you know if for some reason, not for some reason, the teams don't win sometimes, but if they don't win the World Series next year, which is the last year of his contract, maybe both sides look at one more year. And see what happened, but I don't see Jose looking for like five or six more years. Now I haven't talked to Jose about that, sure. you know. So I'm speaking just this is totally my belief. Yeah. But you know, especially after this year, he may be like, well, if I can get for, through one more or two more, that'd be great. And that's the thing, you know, Jose goes through a lot to play. You mentioned yeah. the seasons that he's did. Not only was he uh, hit 22 times this year, right? I forgot about that. Yeah. Which, which didn't lead the league, but it was darn close. That's seven more than he got hit in 16, seven more. Than, the, the next highest total is 15 hit by pitch. Right. That, I mean, we talk about it as just, oh, it's an extra base. It's 90 feet or whatever. That hurts. And yeah. especially when you're getting it in that arm, you know, that elbow over and over, that triceps area over and over again. I, I don't think it's any secret that that affects his ability to be all that productive over the next couple of days once you get hit. Think about this. Most of us look at a hit by pitch and say, oh, I got hit by a 75 uh, yeah. mile hour changeup. Yeah, I don't think any of us would want to get hit by a, 40 mile an hour changeup, let alone a set. So yeah, it's, and I think that's why 
one of the many reasons why Tony Larusa would get so fired up because of the fact that this same guy was getting hit. Now, granted, as Liam Hendricks, who, who really has a great grasp on baseball overall, when he was talking about you know pitching against Jose, he said that's where you go to get him. You go Got up him. and in. But to Tony LaRusso's point, I don't know why I emphasized the wrong syllable on Tony there. That's but fine. Tony LaRusso's point, if you can't throw inside like when uh, Karinczak hit him in the head. Yeah. Now, Karinczak apologized and looked stunned, and I don't think it was the same after that during, during the, that year, but during this past year. Well, but, and the rules changed. Yeah, that, I, I was going to leave that one alone. But, yeah, you're right. I don't, um, <laughs> I don't think we need to. But so, yeah, I mean, if you can't do that, then don't do that, right? And that's what I think LaRusso's argument and, you know, um, nature upset nature when jose got hit jose's the leader of that team there's no question about it. there are other leaders to, you know the team goes when tim anderson goes as many players have said yasmani grandal brings you know the on base the presence and you know power although he kind of you know, i mean none of the guys were powering the ball down the stretch you know kind of the last few games and then the four games in the playoffs it was right i mean they had six extra base hits the entire time and i think what uh gavin sheets had two and leary garcia had two so it was just not a great Series, but I think they just got outplayed. I don't think you really have to crush the Sox too much on this. As, as more tip your hat to Houston. I know fans hate hearing the tip your hat, yeah. you know, but I think Houston was just better overall in those four games. Three one two three three two three seven seven six. We're gonna change the. You want to hang around for? I've made sure. you come in. Sure, so I might as well. Make you hang around for might a little well. bit. Make it worth your while. If you want to have a, if you got a phone call, if you got a question for Scott Merkin, MLB, uh, MLB.com's beat writer for the White Sox. Feel free to lob it in here. I want to go back to that ALDS when we come back a little bit. You mentioned the power outage. I think that is where we will dig in when we return. You can update, upgrade, rather, your game day experience in 2022. The Guaranteed Rate Club includes in-seat service, parking, and unlimited food and beverage. Ticket packages start at 20 bucks, uh, twenty games, rather. They include <laughs> flexible payment plans and 2022 postseason opportunities. You got 20 bucks and Mercs out there like, <laughs> there are people, people are going over there now looking like, hey, can I, I get that 20 bucks package? Yeah, my bad. Ticket packages start at 20 games. <laughs> they do include flexible payment plans, though, and 2022 postseason opportunities. For more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit WhiteSox.com. I have said in there, good value. I'm oh sure my, you have, too. Oh, great Great value. Great value. Scott Merkin returns when we come back. It's the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network. I'm Connor McKnight. Bring your group to a White Sox game in 2022 and receive specially priced tickets along with a great experience. Get priority access to select the biggest matchups. Choose the best space for your group and postseason priority for 2022. If you ask them nicely, Scott Merck and MLB.com can slide by and say hello. I will, and it's $20. It right? is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for more information, call or text 312-674-1000 or visit WhiteSox.com. I feel back to my uh, WHFH radio days at Home and Flossmer hitting the on and off button here. Yeah, the, no, we're, the, we're making it work. Yeah, we're I'm, making I'm it work. Kind of getting back into the radio vibe. Usually, that's now. a union job. We have I know. I felt bad. I, I didn't want to. I don't want to violate the buttons anything on their here. own. But that's not uh, something we're doing here. Uh, just a couple more minutes here in the show. Merck was uh, nice enough to hang out and stop by and talk a little White Sox. Take a phone call or two in Homewood. It is Jay. Jay, you're on the line. All right, what is up, ground. my man, Jay? Show, uh, Scott. I, I think you're uh, love your show, Scott. I think you're dead on. Houston's just decisively better. I mean, think about this: 107 wins in 2019, 103 wins in 2018, 101 wins in 2017. You can kind of throw out last year the pandemic, 
uh, a really a bridge kind of season, shortened season. Uh, to lose to a team that will probably go to the World Series, may not win it, but will probably go to the World Series, you don't have to feel discouraged uh, about that, White Sox fans, that there's something wrong with the team. The Sox had a wonderful season. And one thing we know about baseball and basketball championships, you don't luck up on it. It is a process. Right. Uh, that's not to take anything with football. People can get hot. You win a Super Bowl, you know, the quarterback gets injured. All of a sudden, you're a Super Bowl champion. Baseball and basketball is decisively different. You have to really be good and really earn it, and it's a process. I think uh, the Sox are right there. Um, in fact, some would argue that they were a little ahead of schedule. <laughs> so I, I, it bothers me that Tony LaRussa took so much criticism, and I think, and I hate to say this, I think some of us, and me included, we were discriminating a little bit against Tony LaRussa because he's in his 70s. Mm. I think if we look in the mirror and really think, would we have some of these same adjectives that were articulated if he was 55 and 60? I don't think so. I think some of us really looked at Tony LaRusso a certain way because he's older. He is a dynamic manager. Um, but for White Sox fans like myself, terrific season. You lost to a team that's just better. Uh, we will get to where Houston is if we keep our nucleus together and stay positive and not beat up our, our players right now. Uh, but they're all keepers, and I think next year uh, will be the year where we may get to the to the uh, you know to the uh, World Series. Thanks for taking my call, Jay. Appreciate you, my man. Good phone call. Yeah, I, th- I think he's right. I think you know you can give credit to Houston, and obviously Houston is not a you know outside of Houston, not a favorite among a lot of baseball fans because of what happened in the past. But I think you can also be disappointed in the Sox overall in the series, right? I think you thought there'd be a little better. Showing so, but I agree with him that you know people pointed out to me that Houston, when they first started their process, I think they lost the division series, didn't make the playoffs the next year, and then won the World Series yeah. after that. Yeah. The Cubs, you know, uh, went to the LCS, got swept by the Mets, and then won the World Series next year. So as much as it looked like any team in the American League could you know win the AL this year, so I think that was giving a lot of Sox fans hope, especially because. This team basically won the division, like, in June. Yeah. So, you know, they had a chance to keep pushing forward. You know, it just didn't happen. Houston was better. Sox didn't have a great series, and that's what ends up happening, three out of four. So, Scott Merkin, MLB.com, is our guest as we wrap up White Sox Weekly. Just quickly, Scott, you know, yeah. as, as you look at the next week and the White Sox wrap the season, this Recon press conference will likely happen. Things you quickly, uh, things you need out of that press conference. Questions you uh, would love answered. Yeah, it's just so early. You know, I mean, there's it's hard. I mean, I guess you know about Kimbrel. Sure. Larusa, the Larusa's under contract, so we know he's you know going to be back. Um, you know, the rotation moving forward. I think there's a lot of things that we're going to ask Rick that he's going to be like. You know, I don't have a definitive answer yeah. as of October 19th or October 20th. Talk to me in December, type of thing, you know, and we'll see what happens. But I'd like to just get his take on what happened in that series and what he thought was absent and what he thought Houston did better. As the offseason rolls on, White Sox Weekly will be here for you all winter long. So will Scott Merkin. Follow him, Scott Merkin, on Twitter and stay up to date on all things White Sox by following the team's official social media accounts. Don't miss a minute of the action on and off the field. Follow at White Sox on social today. Thanks so much, Tyler Aki, and to you for your phone calls and chiming in and listening. Download the ESPN Chicago app. You can download all of our shows. Scott, thank you so much. Anytime. That does it for us here on White Sox Weekly. This is the ESPN 1000 Hard Rock Casino White Sox Network.